With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, post-Memorial Day weekend week. Yeah, I hope, uh, hope everyone's back in the swing of work. Hope you're no longer hungover. Whatever, uh, whatever thing you were doing over the weekend, I hope it was fun. I hope you at least poured one out, if not more, for the fallen troops um, over the course of America's history. Obviously, that's what Memorial Day is mostly about. Um, besides just the barbecues and the kickoff to summer type stuff that uh, that we've kind of turned it into. Um, that said, um, Dan, how do you want to start us off this week? I feel like there's not a lot of Syracuse things going on. Obviously, there's one topic I know we wanted to hit on, but is there anything else that you, you need to get off your chest before we jump into uh, to what's become a burgeoning emoji fight? No, I, I, I think that's that's what the people want to hear. Like the the emoji wars of 2017 are are upon us, and battle lines have been drawn. Fair enough. Yeah, you guys uh, you guys expressed that you wanted a little more a uh, little more hate week type stuff, a little more animosity between fan bases. I know that's kind of gone down a bit um, as we've joined the ACC, Clemson excluded. Um, but yeah, I, I think we were able to ignite something with the fan base. I didn't realize we had anything against. Um, well, well, the older, yes, I think older Syracuse fans definitely harbor some resentment. Um, it's not about emojis, though, because those did not exist in 1998, uh, to the best of my knowledge. They did not, even on uh, AIM, which would I would think now would, would have been the perfect place for emojis. Oh, oh definitely. That would have really highlighted your, uh, like, brand new lyric uh, away messages. <laughs> I had a brand new lyric screen name. Ooh. Sucker for acoustic, <laughs> but the four was the number four, and the I in acoustic was a one. Oh man! <laughs> now I'm trying to I'm, I'm now trying to think of like Syracuse pun brand new song titles, which I will, might just shout out in the middle of this podcast. That's fine. <laughs> what, what what else would people expect at this point? It, it, it is it is almost June, so we're in the the straight doldrums, and uh, that's that you might just get like random. Discussions about, you know, Syracuse player names stuck into emo type song titles. It's just, you know, it happens. This is actually pretty much in our wheelhouse. Oh, very much so. <laughs> anyway, um, for those who weren't on the site today or didn't get to see the uh, Twitter fervor of me uh, poking the Vols bear uh, numerous times, um, Tennessee's been using an orange emoji to uh, to express things on Twitter for a long time. Um 
or at least the last couple of years. Uh, the official account uses it, uh, students use it, most of the commits use it. Uh, the problem is that's our thing. Um, you know, I, I think every school kind of has their, their emoji that, that they utilize. Uh, you know, LSU has a tiger, um, Alabama usually uses an elephant. There, there are plenty of other ones. Um, we have an orange because, obviously, uh, we are the orange. Our mascot is an orange. Um, it would make perfect sense that we would have an orange as our emoji that we would utilize on, on you know, social media. Um, so I kind of just finally had it with, with Tennessee and decided, you know, let, let's just poke the bear a little bit um, and, and tell them, you know, give it back. And here are some alternatives for you guys. So... Negative at the beginning, but constructive towards the end. I was actually being helpful, um, to be honest, as a, as a not rival fan, but a, an opposing fan nonetheless. Um, ends up that our friends at SB Nation College Football retweeted it. Uh, a lot of Tennessee fans came out of the woodwork uh, to tell me that I was very wrong and then used incorrect um, information to prove as much. Yeah, if you didn't know, Syracuse football has only had a program since like 1987. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> we when there were five programs in 1987, we went undefeated, and that's the only reason we went undefeated is because we played Rutgers, Princeton, Temple, uh, Harvard, and Dartmouth uh, twice apiece, and then we tied Auburn, who was the only other program, and that's how we went 11-0-1. My, 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 my favorite moment of this Twitter, and I wasn't following it too closely, I was working and whatnot, but someone tweeted at Kevin, <laughs> Kevin, uh, from the site, and was basically like, after after a lot of like soul searching, he's like, you know what? I will admit, and this is where these aren't his exact words, but they're like in this in the ballpark. He's like, I will admit that Syracuse basketball is probably better than Tennessee basketball. <laughs> and I just looked at that, I was like, this is amazing. I love these people. <laughs> probably, <laughs> it might be better Tennessee basketball, which has achieved all of like nothing ever. <laughs> okay, they, uh, they they were locked in a battle with uh, with Boston College and numerous other programs. Uh, for for the the least amount of accomplishments with the most amount of potential opportunities uh, in, in terms of you know power conferences and all that and, and let's not even get into the fact that the SEC has been infinitely more winnable than any conference Syracuse has ever been affiliated with. I think Tennessee. I think the literally the the most famous moment of Tennessee basketball history might be Bruce Pearl's barbecue. I think the most famous Tennessee <laughs> moment of Tennessee basketball. Aside from is, like women's basketball, right. which obviously they're awesome. I was about awesome. to say the, mo- the most the most famous part of Tennessee men's basketball is Tennessee women's basketball. Right, like, and that's not an act of Tennessee women's basketball, which is fantastic. Um, just pointing out just how much more important Tennessee women's basketball is than Tennessee men's yeah. basketball. R.I.P. Pat Summit. Um, Tennessee men's basketball just couldn't be more relevant. So, uh, and Syracuse football right now not that relevant historically. Like behind Tennessee football, but not like that that much. Not in the, not in terms of not like comparative to uh, the the two basketball programs. So if if we're gonna do that, like that just was kind of silly. But I I did appreciate that one guy mustering the uh, the emotional strength and, and and maturity, honestly, to admit that Syracuse basketball has maybe been a slightly better program over the years than Tennessee. Um, good times. Yeah, way to go, guy. Um, yeah, I, I don't want anyone, especially if if. if non-Syracuse fans are listening, this isn't some sort of, you know, overly defensive reaction on our part. This isn't, we're very much, spend five minutes on, on the site or, or on the Twitter feed or, or listening to any amount of discourse Dan and I put out there over the years, and you'll find that we're not a group that, that, that is unaware of 
you know, our, our station in the world. Uh, that said, um, there's definitely something <laughs> off about about creating this kind of fictional gulf between, like, you know, Tennessee and Syracuse football historically. Recently, sure, it's there. Um, but all time, I wouldn't say as much. Um, Syracuse, the 18th winningest program of all time. Unfortunately, Clemson is probably going to surpass us this year, uh, which adds extra ire to the situation. I haven't looked at the numbers most recently enough to look. I really hope that the opportunity for them to pass us doesn't come when we play each other. Um, because I'm sure that'll be the first time the Clemson fans decide to uh, use a calculator all year. And we'll, we'll make sure that, that that fact is tweeted from every rooftop in my general direction because uh, while tennis, well, sorry, while Clemson fans, I, another Orange fan base that tries to irk me from time to time, <laughs> while Clemson fans are, are, are no longer tweeting me every week um, with missives and, uh, and a lot of anger, um, they have no problem tweeting at me when uh, Clemson loses to Syracuse. I mean, Clemson beat Syracuse, excuse me. That, that hasn't happened in football yet, and when it does, I will throw a parade on Marshall Street myself. Oh, man, the, the site will be just, the, the day that happens, and that could be in 2023, like, will be so good. It will be just such quality content. Uh, no one will know how to deal with it. Um, I write a story every hour. <laughs> just... Hey, guys, hey, guys, it's like Wednesday afternoon at like four. Like, guys, you remember what happened on Saturday? I would honestly, I'd write the same story and then just like change like one detail, and then just file <laughs> it over and over again. Oh God, there's no amount of briefing that'll be inappropriate for whenever that happens. Um, so I guess talking about emojis, because obviously Syracuse is the orange, and we're gonna we're gonna keep that. Um, of the available options, Dan, what would you recommend for Tennessee? Does does a dog work? Does the the checkered flag and maybe a orange diamond work does just the orange diamond work i feel like they have all i mean there was the mountain landscape too for for rocky top i feel like they have all these all these options available to them but for some reason um just blatantly refusing them for for a shade of orange that they don't even wear and, and a fruit like there's nothing to do with them yeah, you guys aren't fruit you guys don't even do they even grow fruit in tennessee i feel like there's, there's very little in terms of fruit products there um, no, that's the other thing like that hurts me. Like Tennessee does have like a fair amount of history, and it also has a lot of like random symbols and stuff. So you would think that they would have more available to them to pick from. Like you have the mountain. Pick? Yeah, we have like one thing. Um, we you know maybe we could do like a snow uh, the the the, uh, the snowflake, but like that's a terrible pitch to kids from Miami. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Let's let's remind everyone of this. Um, no, oranges is perfect for that. It's like, yeah, we have oranges here too in shine under very specific conditions. Um, <laughs> no, like they have, like you said, the mountain. You could do like some kind of smoky thing. You have a dog. I mean, you have an awesome, very good dog uh, mascot. Uh, you have the sun sphere, uh, which is a weird landmark that is the most, uh, apparently it was constructed in 1982, and that is perfect because <laughs> nothing has ever looked more 1982 than the sun sphere. Yeah. Um, you could do something with that. Uh, like, there's just so much stuff, and they chose an orange. The orange diamond. Like, we don't, we don't, we we understand that that is also your color, but like, there are more orange options uh, presented to you in the the uh, just the the grand scape of, of emoji that are out there right now and ever expanding. So hopefully, uh, they like. 
that's the thing. Like, even the, the multiple Tiger programs, like, use different Tigers. Right. Um, but Tennessee just locked in on the orange, and I, I just, like, I get, like, go, go Big Orange is one of their things, but, like, come on. It's, just let us have this one thing. It's, it's just, it's annoying. And it's annoying for me because I have to, like, follow recruiting nationally and whatnot. So every time I see these oranges popping up, like, there's a good 75% chance that it's Tennessee and not Syracuse, but I get excited every time. Yeah, it's uh, it definitely causes confusion. I do feel like yeah, everybody else manages to, you know, just just make it work with, like you said, there's there's differences for all the Tiger programs. There's there's plenty of other differences around. Um, obviously, Duke is the Blue Devils. So I think Northwestern has some sort of Wildcat related thing. I don't even know what theirs is, to be honest. But yeah, They do some purple stuff, like purple diamonds, I think. Purple's fine. You can do that. I think Rutgers has, like, a sword or some shit, or a shield. or I mean, Everybody has a thing, and, like, everybody's fine with just staying in their lane. I think, you know, Purdue uses the train, which is fun. Like, like and that's the thing. Like, as much as the emoji thing seems stupid, and that's why I posted about it, because it's sort of right in our wheelhouse, at the same time, like, it is a side conversation of one of the most fun parts of college football. And that's like all the stupid traditions and all like the goofy, like there's the outward brand. And then there's like the other like parts of the brand. Like, like when you see like Purdue, like the train thing is like an extra part of it. Like Purdue Pete's like the horrifying, like outward personification of Purdue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like the, the, there's all these elements and like, you know, the, the, the emoji battle has kind of just become like another, another way to do that so yeah it, it is confusing why why tennessee wouldn't want to stake out claim to something that's a little bit more obvious for them i mean i i would say that it's likely the majority of recruits tweeting oranges of late are probably more tennessee focused but that's also a directive from the school if the school decided to stake out their own area of the internet somewhere else um i'm sure that the recruits and i'm sure that students would all fall in line pretty quickly yeah. Also, I'd just like to add in that one of my favorite games is uh, playing on Twitter now is, is this kid, is this a person being recruited by TCU or is this a horrible racist? Ooh. <laughs> that is... Yeah, there's, there's, there's also plenty of issues with... Because you can't, you can't do a regular frog. It's too bad, because the frog emoji is great, and there's only one frog program. So, like, TCU just had that, that riff from them real hard. And it's unfortunate. Yeah, it's, it's not great. It's highly unfortunate. Um, TCU, you know what? Maybe you should maybe you should adopt Kermit. So do the do the frog sipping tea as your as your thing. <laughs> like whenever they get those kids that like Texas offers after they've already committed <laughs> to TCU. I, f- I feel like I want to have like an entire. I want to write an entire like how-to book about like how to make social media and college football fun but also like troll the shit out of your enemies at the same time <laughs> hey, hey that'd, be, that'd be so much fun <laughs> like i i'd love to see what a&m would do a&m would probably get the uh would, would probably have to write uh the first few chapters of that uh, the fact that A&M hasn't pulled some strings to get a, a horns down emoji yet is, is unfortunate. Oh, it's going to happen. I'm sure that... Like, find a way to get the, uh, the like, rock horns, like, upside down, and then you're perfect. <laughs> All 
I'm sure that that is coming, Dan. Um, what else happened recently? I feel like some stuff did. Let me pull up the site. I honestly don't have it up right now. I'm sure we had things occur. Um, oh, kickoff times were used for, uh, for several games this year already. Um, yeah, no nooners yet. I mean, there will be, but not yet. There will be, although at the same time, I feel like the two of these games were kind of our best chances for them. Yeah, I mean, these could have easily been, I mean, they're obviously two Friday games stuck in, so those won't be at noon, but the, the other two, the two Saturday games, um, would have easily, like, those are easy nooners. So, 3.30 starts, I think, I don't know about you, I, for me personally, on the East Coast, I think 3.30 is the optimal start time, and also it seems to be the one we get to least. So, um, oh, especially I don't for an in-person think... kick. I think, like, if you're going to be at the game, 3.30 is really ideal. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know if I'll be making any of these. Um, I might try to make Central, just so I'm not sure when else I can get up there. Uh, I would have gone up for Clemson on Friday night, but I have uh, tickets to see Modest Mass that night. So uh, best laid plans. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I find with the Friday game against Clemson. You know, we've had some weird Friday night stuff happen at the Dome, and weird against Clemson would benefit us, I think. Um, I'm, you know, Friday night opener is not ideal. Um, we actually talked the other day about with that Liberty schedule, which have we, do we, have we discussed Liberty yet? We did not because that was Friday. Right. I wasn't sure if that happened before the last podcast. Oh, we'll get to um, that now. Yeah. Well, we can transition in. I actually kind of like, I hope that we actually start on the road more often. I don't remember doing it that often. I think my, my freshman year we played at Northwestern week one. Um, but Syracuse has this weird, uh, this weird issue with home openers because, it always runs up against the the uh, fair, and that's a big deal. And we always end up getting stuck with these awful Friday night games that are not on television, and they're against awful opponents. And I just think overall, like we're a program that can definitely benefit from playing on the road to start. I know it's not like ideal for other reasons, but I'm actually kind of a fan of it uh, for that reason. Um, so I don't know. I'm not surprised that Central's on a Friday, but it's, it's Central Connecticut. So at that point, you're you know, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get 30,000 people in the Dome, maybe. Um, you're going to hopefully get an easy win. Uh, there's not going to be that much hype for it. So it, it is what it is. It's, it being Friday or Saturday or whatever doesn't really make a huge difference, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole point with Friday has always been to, to try to catch everybody before they leave town. Um, I get the purpose of that, I suppose. But at the same time, I feel like if you're leaving town on Saturday, you're probably pretty anxious to leave on Friday or you're anxious to put everything together to leave on Friday because if you go to the game at the Dome at 7 p.m., um, you're not... You're not leaving until 11. Right, you're not leaving till 11. It becomes... So it's basically just as bad as having a game on Saturday. Um, I, I do agree with your plan. I think that, you know, while I, I wouldn't normally endorse going down to a program like Liberty, um, at the same time, like, it's probably not the worst thing. I think in the future... Um, you know, the, the mandatory P5 game um, could be an option, um, especially if we start scheduling more toward, like, even with our competition. So, like, a game against Maryland, you know, week one at Maryland wouldn't necessarily be that weird. Um, it would actually be able to be on television somewhere um, versus these games, which end up being throwaways. The Liberty game will probably be an ACC network um, extra kickoff in a few years when that happens. Uh, again, versus like a game against Maryland, which uh, two power five schools, neither of which are amazing, but 
they are evenly matched and therefore could create some interesting television on a, on a Friday or a Saturday. Um, but, but yeah, I, I do think that we might be seeing either, well, either we're seeing A, the, the beginning of the end of those FCS openers um, for Syracuse doesn't mean they won't play an FCS team. They'll do that later in September. Or um, we're seeing the, the, the ground set for uh, the Carrier Dome renovation. Yeah, I also think an interesting option would be to try to burrow our way in. And, you know, I think with Wild Hat there, there are probably more options in terms of getting creative with ESPN. I don't know why we wouldn't try to burrow our way into those Thursday night games uh, when we are hosting at the Dome for week one. Because at least then, like, people might be taking off Friday anyway if they're trying to get out of town early for Labor Day. Um, I don't, like, I honestly don't think the attendance would be that much different. And you have less competition. Like, you're running up against South Carolina most years, but they're even not even playing it this year. There's usually, like, one, like, Colorado State or some, like, weird game out west. But at least you're, like, one of, like, the five games. And real college football heads are, are, watching, like, all of those. Like, I watched the, that, like, awful, I think a couple years ago, the first game of the season was a Wednesday, and it was, like, Georgia uh, State in their first uh, game at FBS. Oh, yeah, playing. I, I watched the hell out of that. Yeah, I watched the entire game. Uh, who did they play? They played a, a still a D, uh, it was Garland. still an FCS program. No, it was, um, like, maybe Valdosta or something. It was a bad, it was a really bad game. Uh, I'm going to look it up while we're talking. Uh, but... Like that's not a that's not a bad idea either, um, because then you still have people in town. I don't think the state fair is big stuff going on on Thursday night. If you put it at eight o'clock, like people can get there after work, and you know, worst case, I don't think the attendance would really be that much different. Best case, you know, you get a little more TV attention. If it's a beatable opponent and you're playing Dino Babers ball, you're probably gonna put up like fifty points. Like, I think that's a better option than Friday or Saturday, honestly. Yeah, no, I, I totally buy that. I, I think that the getting in on that Thursday action would be of interest to us. I think, you know, people people do watch it. I mean, it's, a, and it's Georgia State again, but I think Georgia State was... I think Georgia State faced Charlotte last year? Uh, the, they, they played Abilene Christian. It was their first... Uh, it was The, the year it was 2014. It was, they played Abilene Christian at the Georgia Dome. There was like 3,000 people there. Um, they won 38 to 37, and it was their only win of the year. <laughs> yeah. And then the year after, they bounced back and made a bowl out of nowhere. Out of nowhere, yeah. I think they, it was either that year or last year that they faced Charlotte. It might have been two years ago, and it was like Charlotte's first game as an FBS team. Yeah, that sounds about right. And like both teams look putrid, but yeah, I still watch the hell out of that game, and I'm sure a lot of other people did too, because, um, you know, you're. you're so far removed from the last time you were watching live college football. Obviously, there's like the week zero games now, so we get a couple of those um, this year. I know, I think San Jose State is utilizing that with USF this year. Stanford and Rice are doing that. That weird early week one, but like it's like it's not even week one; it's like week zero. Yeah, we're although Stanford and Rice are like playing at Australia, which whatever. At twelve. But at least, like, at le- I mean, I understand that, but, like, at least at least Cal and Hawaii made sense. Cause yeah, like, I'm not quite sure why Rice football is going out to Australia, but more power to them. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be, like, five people from Rice there. Like, at best. Because it's a Houston private school. <laughs> maybe, maybe, Rice is, maybe Rice just really needed a punter for a couple years, and they're like, we, we figured it out. We got it. Recruiting trip. It's perfect. <laughs> it's a recruiting trip. We're going to get six punters. 
You know what though? Like I, I'm very much looking forward to probably like three years from now when like USC and Washington and like kicks off like the Tokyo Dome. Oh, that's something like that's coming. The Pac-12, the Pac-12 is way out there on some weird games, and people don't really notice as it's the Pac-12. But like, they, the Pac-12 is already doing stuff that if the SEC did, like SEC fans would be so mad and lose a goddamn minds. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, and you know, and rightfully so, I guess, in a lot of cases, the SEC, like, you can't, there's no point in removing those games from the on-campus atmospheres, which have created, you know, the, the mythos, real and imagined, of, of SEC football. While Pac-12, yeah, there are traditions, but, like, you're not really missing out on much not having a game at the Coliseum or not having a game, you know, up at UW. Like, Utah's a gorgeous stadium, but, um, like, if you moved a Utah-Colorado game to Texas or you moved it to Hawaii or Australia, like, nobody would necessarily shed a tear about that other than the season ticket holders who probably didn't get an adjusted rate um, for the one game that they didn't get. Um, but, yeah, for the SEC, you, you lose an entire part of the character uh, of those games, and I think that's why, that's why you see a lot more kind of hand-wringing about those games getting moved to neutral sites from SEC country than you do elsewhere just because of, of the, the, the hit that the entire product takes um, on that front versus a lot of the other leagues. Uh, it's just not as extreme of a game day difference, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I buy that. And I, I get why the Pac-12 is more lenient to do it versus like, like you said, there's just not, it's not the same atmosphere at most schools. Obviously, there are some schools that have built good things, but even so, like, their fans are just not going to be as dunko about certain stuff. Um, I mean, they're like, when Arkansas plays their yearly game at Little Rock, people get a little upset. So, like, <laughs> Arkansas is not going to play in, in Beijing. Like, it's just not going to happen. Um, Although, could you imagine Arkansas fans in Beijing? Oh, now I really want it to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Big Burton, Little China? Just Bill Ma talking about, just making weird sexual references about the uh, opportunity to spread the Arkansas brand to uh, <laughs> to the east. Oh, God. Before we get to halftime, I just did want to talk a little bit about Liberty. Um, this actually is a good segue for the second half of the podcast, where we'll be talking a little bit about um, independence. Um, Liberty will be transitioning to the FBS and will be an independent, at least in the short term. Uh, they do not have a conference uh invite and unfortunately for them i don't think they're getting one anytime soon barring uh realignment armageddon um for those who don't know and we won't get into the politics of it but we will get into the legal ramifications here um liberty has a lot of strong ties with baylor uh they hired (laughs) some would argue too strong yeah some would argue too strong um ian mccaw uh who's directly involved in the uh baylor uh sexual assault and cover-up issues um, and domestic violence issues um, is the AD there. Uh, he's hired several former Baylor staffers who were still embroiled um, in the, the NCAA investigation and issues, and who knows when that's ever going to end. Um, Liberty has its own issues with Jerry Falwell, who founded the university as the president. Um, I'm not going to get into, again, not getting into the politics of it, just getting into the uh, morally problematic um, parts of those two gentlemen um, and the the school that they stand for um, 
as Dan and I talked about on Twitter, and other people talked about on Twitter last Friday when the game was in, when the games were announced between Syracuse and Liberty. Um, I wanted Syracuse to schedule someone they could beat. They did that, so beggars can't be choosers. However, um, this is not necessarily what I had in mind. I think Dan and I might have joked on the podcast like a month ago that Syracuse was going to schedule uh, a bunch of Liberty games, and they went ahead and did that. Um, I I don't want to get myself into any hot water here, but <laughs> just want to say I wish we could have scheduled someone else, but if we're going to schedule them, let's beat them by 100. Yeah, I, I think that's what most people took. Like, We've had such issues with scheduling. Uh, I think when this actually broke, I, I saw before you and I messaged you on Slack and I said, what if I told you that Syracuse designed a three-game uh, series with a team that it should absolutely be in a good recruiting area for the one road game, uh, and also you're still going to hate it? <laughs> and uh, to your credit, you didn't... I, you, you, I think we both like took it, you know... Syracuse did a very pragmatic thing. It was not perfect. I would rather not be playing Liberty. But, like you said, Syracuse should win these games by a total of like 140 points. Um, the one game, the road game we have to play is the 2019 opener, I think, uh, in Virginia, which is a place we recruit, which, which we talk about. If you're going to have to play crappy teams on the road, don't play them in you know, Virginia, North Carolina, Florida, Georgia, somewhere we, where we recruit uh, regularly. Um it's uh, just, you know, it, it sets us up with three games that we didn't have before. Like, we're actually starting to build these schedules down the road. Our 2019 schedule now is pretty manageable. We have two non-conference road games, but again, one's at Liberty, the other one's at Maryland. Um, and then who else do we have that year? Uh, Holy Cross. Holy Cross and... Um, we still need one is that, that a, is that a Notre Dame year, or is it we still, we're still waiting on one? We're still waiting on one there. 2018 is, Wa- is Wagner at home, Notre Dame on the road... And who else? There's another 20. Oh, and UConn at home. Yeah, so in 2019, at Maryland, obviously usually wouldn't be at Liberty, but it just fell that way, and that's fine. We, we should still win that game. They're not going to be any good unless something disastrous happens or they decide to go, like, take all of Baylor's good players. Um, and then you have, uh, I forget, first Holy Cross. So basically have, like, functionally two FCS games where you're getting the full credit for the for the Liberty game. Right. I'm assuming they're going to add another Mac-ish opponent and not, like, Alabama. Um, that's, like, a model schedule for the rebuilding Syracuse. Like, that's pretty good. You, you'd rather have three home games on conference, but you can work with it. Uh, and then you get Liberty twice at the Dome um, in the following years. Like, I, I'm encouraged by the thought process. Liberty has its own baggage, but Syracuse is behind the eight ball enough where I, I, I'm totally fine with the whole beggars can't be choosers thing. I don't think it's fair to say by playing Liberty, you're endorsing everything Liberty stands for or what Ian Mitchell has done or what Kent Starr has done or anything else. Um, that's a little bit of a stretch. I'm annoyed because I already know it's going to come up, especially because we happen to have a head coach that was connected to our files before this. Um, but it, it is what it is. Like, hopefully people aren't too crazy about that. And also, it's Syracuse at Liberty in the first week of 2019. I think there will probably be other games that people are discussing that week. Yeah, I completely agree. And also, it, 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 again, without getting into the politics of it, I'm glad that we avoided the 2018 announcement that Donald Trump dropped at the Liberty. Oh, thank, thank God. <laughs> and, and, oh, we weren't, we're not even the only Power 5 program. Because, to, to be honest, I'm pretty sure we're getting money for this game. Um, oh, probably. They're paying, aren't they? Like, didn't they didn't the, they're playing like a bunch of other schools in 2018 and beyond, the, the ones that Trump announced. 
ODU um, is getting 1.3 to host them. Yeah. Like, I don't know what we're going to get because we're hosting two games, but I bet we're getting at least something. Yeah, I bet we're getting at least something, or worst case, it's a break-even, and in that case, like, well done, John Wildhack and whoever else is handling scheduling on this. A break-even when usually that's a that's a, a body bag game where you're paying them to come twice. Right. Like, Liberty is in a, in a weird situation because a lot of schools are just not going to want to play them. So Syracuse is actually in an advantageous position in terms of scheduling. It took advantage of it to its credit. So I think the positives do outweigh the negatives. The negatives are annoying. They're not deal breakers. And I honestly, I think it will get a lot more attention in the Syracuse community than it will uh, nationally. And I think uh, those of us in the Syracuse community can like figure out, like understand more why we did this versus like, you know, if people are really going to rake Wild Hack and Babers and whoever else over the tools for this, like, it, I think it's a little bit of uh, looking for an issue that, while, like, I get the optics aren't great, I, I don't think it's actually something that's there. I don't think we, like, actively sought out Liberty. Uh, I think it just, as for what Liberty is, I think we just found a school that we it lines up with what we need and we took it. Right. No, completely. Um it's a good place to uh, to head to halftime, and then we can uh, we can resume the the discussion of current and future independent schools. Um, so, Dan, what have you been drinking? Uh, I've had a few new things uh, of the last couple of weeks. Uh, let me go back a little bit. Um, last week, I got to hit up uh, Interboro Spirits and Ales in Brooklyn for the second time. Uh, they re-released their Stay Gold IPA, which is delicious. Picked up a four pack of that and had one of those there. Uh, four packs still waiting for me, although I should. Get on that soon, since it's a fairly fresh IPA. Uh, also had their Mad Fat Fluid, which is delicious as well. Uh, better than I remember the first time I had it. And that's one of their signatures. Um, I had, over the weekend, had some Sculpin, had some other normal stuff. Um, I'm currently drinking uh, another Inner Burr, the other one I picked up. Um, their collaboration with uh, Industrial Arts, which I've talked about before. is a upstate brewery that made some really, really good hoppy beers. Mm. Um, this is a called the In Crowd. It's it's billed as a double session, a, a session double IPA, um, in that it is a double. Uh, has a pretty strong hop profile, but it's only six percent, which is a little stronger than a normal session. But I guess with a double IPA, that's about what you're going to get. Um, I don't know that I would actually session this beer, but it's it's pretty good. Um, I also had yesterday. I had a from Industrial Arts itself, a State of the Art One Fifteen, uh, which was really good, and then probably the best beer I've had in a while. Um, Hill Farmstead Society in Solitude Number no. 8, uh, which was a double IPA. Um, I think it was at like 9%-ish. Just really, really good. Um, super complex hop profiles, but very drink Like, super, super drinkable for how hoppy it was. Um, really like that. Definitely one of the best things I've had in a long time, um, which isn't too surprising because Hill Farmstead does really good work. Fair enough. As always, jealous of the uh, Hill Farmstead access. I know I... Uh... I I, like, force myself to get it. Anytime I see anything Hill Farmstead <laughs> that I haven't had before, which is often because, like, if you see Hill Farmstead, like, they, odds are they've made something new, um, I always just make myself get it, even if there's some other stuff that looks good, too. Yeah, that's fair. I know uh, definitely a problem I had when I was in New York in March twice. I uh, definitely pursued everything they had to offer. Um, a couple things that I was drinking in the last week had uh, from Real Ale uh, down in Texas. I had their uh, Benedictum Mysterium Verum. A uh, sour brown ale is really really good. Um, I had uh, Smog City's uh, Pinkies Out anniversary beer, their uh, saison. I also had from Smog City their uh, six thirty to Yakima. It was their uh, pale ale. It was uh, super good. I got a growler of that. Um, headed over to Hermosa Beach. 
uh, went to Abigail, had a, uh, had a consummation IPA and a uh, Das IPA, which is a West Coast IPA that they use German hops for. Uh, so it created an interesting profile. Uh, nothing crazy, but just a good IPA to, to, to sip on. Also stopped at the uh, German sausage place uh, near the beach. Got a uh, Warsteiner, uh, German Pilsner. It was delicious. I'm glad I uh, had that to wash down some dinner. Um, stopped at uh, this one spot that I hadn't been to, uh, kind of a little bit further north, um, up in L.A. proper. Uh, Barber's at the brewery. So the uh, brewery's this uh, kind of art collective area um, up in L.A., um, and this beer bar, Barbara's, is over there, and it's uh, it's pretty well-renowned. Hadn't been up just because it's not really an easy place to get to from here, but tried out uh, State Brewing Project Vanilla, um, as well as uh, the Double Dry Hop Thrill Seeker uh, from Beachwood. So I've had Thrill Seeker before. I've mentioned it on the show a few times, but um, the Double Dry Hop version uh, was very, very good. Um, also had from uh, also from Real Ales down in Texas, a buddy of mine sent uh, Sisyphus, their barley wine, had Alpine Windows Up IPA, drank some house beer from, uh, from local house brewing, had a Pliny of the Elder because seemed like the best thing that was on draft at a, uh, at a bar I was at, and then had a uh, Mike Check, it's a Czech Pilsner from uh, Boomtown Brewery, which is a, not like super new, but I think it's like the last six to nine months they opened uh, in downtown L.A., um, so yeah, thought it was an uneventful weekend, but nope, ends up a drink quite a bit. As you'd imagine for Memorial Day. Yeah, that's usually how it goes. All right, so talking a little bit about independence here. Um, for this coming season, there are four independents. Um, some school in South Bend, uh, UMass, uh, BYU, and Army. And... Uh, Dan, what do you think about the current state of independence, um, you know, in college football? Obviously, Syracuse was a longtime independent. Um, there's always talk about, you know, some of the bigger schools that could potentially be independents. Um, you know, Oklahoma, Texas, Alabama could all survive, USC as well. Um, but what do you think about the current state of, of, of independent programs? Do you think this is something that we're going to see more of? It seems like there's going to be, it seems like the pool is going to be growing in the next few years, but... Is, is that just a temporary swell before it shrinks back down again? Yeah, I could see it like it's been like six or seven, depending on, you know, teams that are joining FBS for the first time. But I think for most programs, like especially new newcomers to the FBS, like you want to get in a conference just because scheduling is such a such a problem. And for Notre Dame, like they're a big name. They can get people on the schedule. They have all their rivalries and they have the ACC agreement. But like even them, like, the ACC agreement helps them out now because they were having some issues before that in terms of, like, you know, either overloading their schedule or trying to deal with, like, playing teams they don't want to want to play. Like, they played Miami, Ohio the other year. I don't think they'd want to do that most years. Like San Jose um, State or all these other teams that ends up on their schedule. Right. Like, they still have to add some schools that are, like, it's great for those schools and, like, it's a win for Notre Dame. But I think in, in an ideal world for them, they'd rather, you know, be playing like the types of schedules they used to, but then those schedules are sometimes now too difficult for what Notre Dame puts out there every year. So I think the ACC actually works out for them in terms of the five-game agreement. Um, obviously, there's debate whether or not they should join the full league. I think we feel one way, obviously. Um, but even like among Notre Dame ranks, I think they're probably pretty pretty pleased with where they are, which is why they we upped it to uh, 2037, I think, is how, uh, how much farther we have oh, yeah. with that deal now. Um, 
I, I don't know. I think that'll probably be. I, I'm just I'm further under the impression that Notre Dame's gonna just keep riding that until either NBC decides it doesn't want to pay that much money for one school anymore, which is a possibility considering what rights deals are starting to look like. Well, or, and, with the, and with the fans, I mean, at some point, the people who who religiously tune into NBC for Notre Dame football every Saturday, you know, are, are, are gonna die. Yeah, <laughs> that that's that's a legitimate thing. Like younger Notre Dame fans, I don't think care nearly as much about their independence as older ones. Um, or if the ACC network or any other network that would you know for a conference that would look to add Notre Dame, which I think is probably all of them. Um, starts making so much more money than Notre Dame makes by itself, then I think you can see a move. But for now, I think they're fairly happy because the money's about even um, for most, even with the ACC projections, and they still get to do most of their rivalries and their other sports are in a good place. So I don't think uh, a Notre Dame move is impending by any means. No, I would have to agree there. Um, I think the, the team to watch with regard to independence is, is more BYU than anybody else. Um, talked about it here before other other places have talked about it too uh byu is kind of landlocked here um if the big 12 is not going to expand um big 12 seems like they're willing to make compromises around the uh around some of byu's uh views socially um the the religious component of byu is a non-starter for the pac-12 uh so that cuts them off there so for for byu it's really just it's Big 12 or bust. I don't think that, that any of the other leagues would really be uh, be interested there. Um, the Mountain West isn't what it used to be, but I still think that, you know, that, that there's not enough hurt feelings over there um, that, that they wouldn't welcome back BYU with open arms. I mean, you think about how many of the schools in the Mountain West are now, like, you know, WAC converts and, like, recent WAC converts, not, like, the old-school WAC. Um, I, I don't even know if, if, if they'd have the votes... Um, to, to keep them out, and when you consider how many of those schools in the Mountain West, I mean, BYU probably schedules, what, at least three or four of them every year. Um, you know, how many of them play BYU uh, regularly? I, I don't think anyone would bat an eye at, at bringing BYU back into the fold, but the, the question there is then, can BYU equal the payouts that it's been getting from ESPN? And, and right now, yes, but maybe five years from now, no. Um, and then also, like, what type of value is BYU to the Mountain West? Uh, obviously, BYU is a valuable property. Um, where it falls on that total line, I'm not sure. Um, but then also, yeah, like how much, I mean, this is what the Big 12 had an issue with of, you know, which, which schools really add to the, the per school payouts. Um, through the Mountain West, you are firmly um, seventh overall um, out of the 10 conferences. Um, so does BYU get you closer to parity with the American Athletic, or are you still, no matter what you do, even if you add a BYU, going to be pretty far behind? Yeah, I think BYU is in an interesting place because I think their aspirations are probably up there with staying independent unless they can get Power 5, but realistically, I, I don't know that um, it's going to work out. Obviously, the Pac-12, you outlined the issues there. The Big 12 just doesn't seem to know what it wants to do with expansion. Um, and the other leagues just don't make any sense for them. So I kind of get why BYU is where they are. Um, Scheduling-wise, like you said, they end up playing a lot of those Mountain West schools anyway. Um, I don't think their schedules would change all that radically. Uh, you'd just play like less of the random like schools that are farther out east uh, in like the back end of their schedules where they're playing more of their, their 
less sexy games. Um, I think they'll see out one. Right. So you'd swap those out for the San Jose's and the and the uh, Wyoming's and whatnot, um, which is not a huge difference. Um, so I, I just think that they've already been there, and I and they know what the Mountain West has to offer. I think the Mountain West would take them back in a second. Um, I, I don't know why they wouldn't. Uh, I don't. It, when you're one of those leagues, I don't think you can really get too uh, worked up over who's coming on and like hurt feelings. I just don't think it works out for those leagues, which have to be pretty uh, forward thinking and pragmatic about things. Um, but I just, I think BYU would probably feel like it's taking a step back or at least like resigning its fate to mid-major status where they obviously have some loftier goals. Um, so just staying independent might like be the best option for them in terms of, you know, not succumbing to like, oh, hey, we're just one of the best of these other schools that never really have a chance to play for anything. Um, that being said, I don't really know that how the schedules work out now that BYU is in a potential, in a position to compete for a national title. Just because their schedules are are not quite good enough, uh, they're not deep enough. Like they just they have some really good top end games. Obviously, they they played the two game series with Texas a few years back when Texas was on the outs with Matt Brown and they beat the hell out of him twice. And like that still looks good, even if Texas wasn't that good. But like there just aren't that many. They're not Notre Dame where they can just command like eight really marquee opponents every year. They can get like three, and that's just not quite good enough to get them in the playoff discussion. Even if they go undefeated, I don't think. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that right now they're looking at, like, three or four, maybe five. You know, Boise State usually ends up on that schedule, and Boise's happy to schedule them. There's no bad blood there because uh, what, they shared a conference for a year, maybe. I don't even know if they did. Actually, no, I don't think they did. That was BYU's last year in the Mountain West was Boise State's first year. Well, was right before Boise State's first year in the Mountain West. But, yeah, I, I don't. The problem is now for them is that because they're not in a group of five league, they don't actually qualify for the access bowl bid. But then that just gets into, you know, what's, what are BYU's goals? And BYU's goals, first and foremost, and this is where they differ from Notre Dame, is that BYU's goals, first and foremost, are, you know, the Mormon mission, the, uh, like the Church of Latter-day Saints. Like, that to them is more, is football is a way to get, the, their message out there while like Notre Dame their goal is to be an amazing football program that competes for championships and if people happen to like Catholicism along the way great um, I, BYU on the other hand is a little more church forward um, obviously they want to win they want to compete but they're fine being in this 8-4, and 9-3 and three wheelhouse that they've kind of settled into yeah, I, I I didn't think about the access bowl thing. That is interesting. Um, it, it's just a matter of like, I, I mean, I just I, I don't know that joining up in the Mountain West for I mean that's still not like it's not like they're signing up to win to do the Orange Bowl every year. Like that's a tough that's a tough spot to get in. It's very competitive. There's always you know you have the risk of like a Western Michigan this year. The MAC seems to put out like a really really good team every three or four years. Um, you have the AAC champion, which should always be like a top 20 team. You have the Mount, you have Boise state sitting there in the mountain West. Um, so like, I think that's, that's a nice thing. I just don't know how realistic it is, uh, for BYU to even like win that or get there often enough to make that worth the jump. Now, you know, maybe after 10 years, BYU gets tired of the effort put into like having to schedule out. Uh, an independent schedule, which is a, a real bore, and I'm actually kind of surprised that like UMass has stayed afloat as long as it has having to do that as a much less attractive program, um, and one that's in the Northeast and whatnot. 
But um, for now, I think they're probably okay treading water and hoping, like, the Big 12 gets, like, frisky again at some point, which is bound to happen. I'm, I'm sure we'll, I'm sure conference expansion has not gone done forever in terms of the Big 12. No, definitely not. And I think, yeah, like, BYU is in a better situation probably than Army, um, if only because they might command a little bit more um, national dollars and, and, and eyeballs. Um, obviously, a lot of people do watch Army, though. Army is just at a different place competitively. You've seen what they've done lately. Um, where they've really tried to schedule the dregs of FBS and um, a couple like bigger games, but not really huge games. And their their new kind of path is is, is being competitive and, and competing for a bowl bid, and that seems to be working out for them. And I think that it's it's resulted in them getting better players. Um, I mean, last year is what they went seven and five, seven and six. Um, I, I think that's kind of a you know around a ceiling for for an army team. But I think BYU has has better upside than that even um what would be curious to see in 10 years is you know if the big 12 doesn't exist anymore like that's where i see a a return to the mountain west is if if byu goes to the mountain west with like say kansas state and iowa state or 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 maybe even baylor if baylor can't if baylor gets murdered by sanctions and and can't really get out from under the, the the boulder in that, in that dream scenario for uh, what <laughs> Oklahoma to the SEC or Oklahoma and Texas to the Pac-12 or whatever, like I love that we've had like all of these reports. Like this year, this offseason's actually been like less crazy with it, but like the the one this year is like Oklahoma is clearly hot and bothered and annoyed by all the Texas stuff, and they want out. And like it actually, it makes sense. Like the theories hold, like make sense logically, but like who knows how much. That actually is, is happening behind closed doors. Obviously, Dave Boren tends to talk more than most college presidents, but I don't think the things he said publicly quite line up with, like, Oklahoma's, you know, one foot out the door, and all it takes is, like, one uh, annoyed booster to, to run into Paul Feinbaum on the street, and you get, you know, a fun rumor. So uh, I, I don't know how close we are to that stuff either. Um, but uh, I'm all for, uh, if expansion wants to keep on pumping, like, it's, it's uh, I'm all for it. I, I enjoy speculating wildly yeah i mean as long as they, and i think the acc is on solid enough ground where we don't have to worry about ourselves but yeah i uh as long as the big Ten's not poaching teams and, and and all that i think uh i think people are looking more realistically now and i think the big 10 if they well well i think five years ago the big 10 would have tried to grab virginia north carolina georgia tech schools like that i don't necessarily think they can do that anymore um because it's not about expanding the tv footprint and all that um, I, I think that if they were to expand, um, Pipe Dream would be Missouri, but Missouri's not leaving the SEC and the money there. Um, so Oklahoma and Texas become kind of the, the obvious targets um, for the Big Ten in terms of improving um, and bolstering its football product. And I think that's really going to be, if, if there is a, a larger realignment shift coming, that's probably where we head. That's probably where we head, where we head next is, is an addition of of actual football programs and things that make sense in that regard. Um, but again, I'm, I'm no expert, but I know you, me, and, and a lot of other people kind of came into this industry writing about this stuff. So while, while it's been a few years since we've been, you know, drowned by it each and every day, I, I think that we, we're still pretty well versed in, in the rules of realignment and, and the shifting um, factors there. Um, another shifting factor just for, you know, whether it's Notre Dame or I think less Notre Dame, but whether it's BYU or Army or UMass, 
upcoming Liberty, New Mexico State's going to go the independent route. Like the availability of games, like as when you have three of the five power conferences with, you know, nine game schedules um, in conference, that leaves only three games to play with um, out of conference. Um, all the G5 leagues are going to stay at eight because they need those, um, you know, expensive payouts from the power conferences and, and, and those, those beatings that they take for the most part. Um, but, like, you look at Liberty's schedule even for, I think it's 2019, um, they're playing home-and-home home with New Mexico State, like, in season. Um, I think that, that that spells really bad things for, for Liberty long-term if they're not going to get an invite, and, and they might not. Um, New Mexico State, who I think is, is screwed unless, you know, somebody at the Mountain West decides to throw them a, a lifeline, and I don't really know why you would, to be honest. Um, and then, uh, why am I blanking on the other one? Oh, and then, and then, and then UMass, who, who's just who's perpetually screwed um, at this point, unless, unless there is realignment elsewhere. Yeah, I was. I almost feel like those schools kind of need to just start. Like, why don't they schedule each other to like just long, uh, long contracts? Like, what's the downside? Well, potential like, payout. I you, guess if you have to break the deal. Yeah, I guess. But like, and I know UMass probably doesn't want to be flying to Las Cruces every year, but uh, that's where. But they're flying to New Hawaii Mexico. every year already. Yeah. So like, <laughs> I feel like just getting the games on the books is more valuable than, like, try. I mean, if you're UMass, are you really putting together uh, this awesome 12-game schedule, like, every single year? Like, obviously not. So I don't know why you wouldn't just book up and say, hey, we have our other independent buddies who are in this other bad, the same bad situation. Let's just, you know, do even payouts and, and say, and have a standing date where we're like, we'll play Liberty until X, we'll play New Mexico State, we'll play... Uh, whomever else needs a game, just because like that just takes care of what a quarter of the schedule about or a third of the schedule or not a third like a twenty twenty five percent of the schedule. Yeah, I mean for them it makes perfect sense. I think you know UMass was at least smart in the fact that they've been able to get on the radar for Hawaii and they've been able to get on the radar for I mean I don't know why Hawaii would play them but whatever um, they've been able to get on the radar for some SEC schools. Um, they've been able to. Um, you know, get that, that kind of running series. I don't know how long it goes, but that series with BC and UConn and those three schools facing one another, which makes perfect sense um, that there's a funny commentary in there about the state of UConn and BC football, but whatever. Um, I think the reason that Syracuse, as much as I hate them not getting out ahead of these things, the reason Syracuse hasn't scheduled a team like UMass is because um, I think they don't want to get left, you know, holding the bag if UMass gets invited to the American Athletic Conference or gets reinvited to the Mac or randomly ends up in conference USA for some idiotic reason. Like I, I think Syracuse is, is as much as I hate to admit it, they're being really smart here to not schedule UMass because they don't want to get embroiled in that. I think with, with regard to Liberty, um, I think the thinking might be a little bit different if only because it, it, it there's more upside to the decision um, when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to our fan base, um, and, and where they are um, in Virginia and Maryland, the D.C. area. Uh, for us, a, a, another trip, a potential trip to um, Massachusetts, um, and, and then, you know, when we already go there every other year, uh, doesn't really do us any favors. Yeah, I'm also I'm kind of surprised that, that UConn and B.C. even 
like if I'm one of those schools, and I, I know that they're a good deal better than UMass, and they're not like I don't know that UMass even a huge threat to like UConn football. But why would you? Why wouldn't you just say no? Why wouldn't you just not schedule them and see what happens? Like they might. If 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 those two schools who obviously don't work together or anything, but like if there was a group of schools in the Northeast that just said we don't want to play UMass just because, like UMass would probably have to just drop their division. Yeah. But I like I don't know. You know, you don't have to be all that openly contemptuous for any reason. But the second that UConn feels any threat from UMass, like taking recruits or anything, I don't know what the recruiting relationship is between them. I don't know how close UMass gets to competing with them. Probably not. Based on the probably not all that. Based on the rankings I've seen. Yeah, uh, does UMass ever break like one ten? No. I don't. I don't think they do. Um, but if they did, like, say UMass is like flirting with like the nineties or eighties, wherever UConn is. Like, if I'm UConn, I'm just saying no. Just no. We're not. We're never playing you. Well, if UConn go, loses, go, if UConn loses, go to UMass, FCS. If UConn loses to UMass once, that program's cratered. And like, I, I don't think they get that. Um, I mean, it's not like UMass is is, is swimming in resources. Um, but UConn definitely has more of those still. But I would kind of bet that there's a lot more people around, you know, UMass Amherst that might be willing to spend on football. Um, not being like you know amazing, but spend on football being passable. Then maybe UConn and has with 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 their boosters spending on basketball already. Yeah, and even like those are the two pri- like those are probably the two premier big public schools in the Northeast. They're probably drawing. I mean, obviously, like UConn's gonna be more Connecticut kids, and UMass gonna be more Massachusetts. But like, I know UConn draws from out of state a fair amount for what it is. Like, I feel like if I'm UConn, like I want to stay the only big public New England school with prominent-ish FBS football. And like, but I guess you also want to win. You also want to win, but like, there's a universe where UMass did infringe on their stuff. Now I think they would have to into a conference that's like similar to the AAC and, like, compete around the same level that UConn has in terms of, like, making bowls some, somewhat often and and building some kind of identity, which I don't know that they have. They have, but if UMass did, like, if UMass built an identity and had, like, a stadium on campus, which I think was in the plans, I don't know if those plans have gone anywhere because well, UMass has been now. kind of in limbo. It's, yeah, I mean... It, it, it's back, but I don't know if they're playing every game there yet. Oh, is the stadium, like, open? Stadium's open. I know, but I mean, my sister never went to a game the entire time she was there. But um, the stadium is open. I don't. I get that you like being able to say you play at Fodsboro's pool. But it's I think I think the theory, I think the the like the idea of it is so much cooler than driving. What is it like an hour and forty five minutes to get there? Like an hour and forty five each way, and then for 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 students. It's and then no one's up, there. Yeah, it's getting up super early. There's no one there. It's it's waiting in line for a bus. I mean, I, I've not not apples to apples comparison, but like the parking for the Rose Bowl is largely in downtown Pasadena, and then it's like a mile, mile and a half from downtown Pasadena to the Rose Bowl. So there there are shuttle buses and mostly just school buses for the local schools. They're utilized on weekends for those. Um, that's a very short ride, but. And almost every every single UCLA game I've ever been to, I've walked back from the Rose Bowl to downtown Pasadena, because the the idea of waiting for a bus. I mean, anyone who's gone to a Syracuse game even knows waiting for a bus to get to South Campus is is infuriating and an impossible dream. Um, I was gonna say, 
Syracuse fans don't don't wait an hour. I mean, Syracuse students don't wait an hour or don't take a bus a mile up to main campus. Like, I don't know, like, how many UMass fans, and I'm sure there are some diehards and, and more power to them, how many UMass fans are waking up every Saturday for noon games to go schlep yeah. over to Foxborough to watch my <laughs> a bad football team lose to some SEC program they signed a three-for-one with, because I'm pretty sure they played half the SEC East last year. Um, like, literally, I think they played half the SEC East last year. They got Mississippi uh, State this year. Yeah, they played Florida, South Carolina. I know they played Vandy recently. Um... I feel like they played Kentucky recently, or they're going to. I don't know. It, their schedule's so weird. Um, I just don't get, like, stick it on campus. That's a party school. Like, you have a shot of, like, some kids wandering drunkenly into the stadium having a good time. Uh, for Foxborough, you just don't, like, there's no chance. No one's going to that. It's so far. Like, we made fun of UConn and Rensselaer. Like, this is so much worse. Rensselaer is so much closer than, than Foxborough is. Like, Wrestler is like, you can get there in 25 minutes if you hustle. This is so far. This is across the state. It's not great. <laughs> this would be like Syracuse playing, like, we, we've talked about like when the Dome gets renovated. It'd be like playing in Buffalo. And at least that's, like, we've it's talked about that. That's, yeah, there's people there. Foxborough is not a city. There's there's a, a Dick Sporting Goods and, like, some, like, hunting shops and, like, all the stuff that's built around there for when the Patriots play. But it's not like... You know, UMass ain't the Patriots. Yep. All right. I think that was. Uh, I think that's a pretty good summation of uh, of what's going on with uh, with independence, right? We, uh, there's no there's no four and eight teams that we left out that are probably important that we might want to discuss. I don't think so. How, impor- how important they, could they be? They went four and eight. Like, yeah, I mean, uh, using the same logic people use about Syracuse, if you went four and eight last year, you probably ain't that important. We actually talked about them way more than I thought we would. Yeah. So sorry about that, everyone. I know we had we made promises to our listeners. I don't know that we kept them, and I, I only hope I only hope to do better next time. I, I'm sure we will. I think we have either the Sun Belt or Conference USA next week. You know what? Notre Dame is definitely not in the Fun Belt, and never will be. They're definitely so. in CUSA West. <laughs> Wait a Notre Dame. Place. You made it. <laughs> Notre Dame, UTEP. Oh, boy. Uh, anyway, um, Dan, thank you as always for joining. Much appreciated. Yes. Enjoy your uh, everyone's freedom from college sports for a couple months until we drag you back in in late August. Indeed, indeed. Uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, and theoretically, go orange. Go orange, not Tennessee. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? 
Introducing a car that's got style and substance to spare. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Featuring a sophisticated, muscular new exterior and available options like a premium JBL audio system and panoramic roof. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Toyota. Let's go places. JBL and Clarifier registered trademarks of Harman International Industries Incorporated.